We are continuing our look at the book of Psalms, Israel's song book, hymn book, and prayer book. Perhaps like me, many of you love the view of mountains. They're spectacular, breathtaking. I remember when I was just a little boy living in California, coming back to Texas to see family. One of my favorite parts was when we were driving through the mountain regions. It was absolutely gorgeous. But the reality is a mountain view may not always bring a sense of beauty. The possibility of seeing something fearful or even troublesome can happen. My middle sister, Debbie, didn't like the mountains nearly as much as I did. Debbie had a fear of heights. And so she wouldn't go out on those little panoramic overviews that we would stop at. She'd wait gladly in the car for us. So the mountains weren't always positive things. Cyprian was a third century martyr of the Christian faith. And he was speaking to Donatus, one of the other men in Carthage where he served. And he made this statement, This is a cheerful world as I see it from my garden under the shadow of my trees. But if I were to ascend some high mountain and look out over the wide lands, you know very well what I should see. Brigands on the highways, pirates on the sea, armies fighting, cities burning. In the amphitheaters, men murdered to please applauding crowds, selfishness and cruelty and misery and despair under all roofs. It is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. The psalm that we're going to look at today is one of what are called ascent songs, 15 psalms in the book. Four of those songs were attributed to David, one to Solomon, and the rest are unattributed. We don't know who wrote them. Now, two theories are proposed for the psalm we're going to look at today. The songs of ascent, essentially, most scholars believe they were songs that were sung by pilgrims, people who were marching to Jerusalem for some sort of festival of praise. Perhaps it would have been a Passover, one of the other festivals. Our little song, that old gospel song that we sing sometimes, Marching to Zion, that's the theme, or that's the setting for these songs of Jerusalem. But according to Leslie Allen, this song probably began as an interchange between a pilgrim, a single person who had made his way to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and while there sought out Wisdom from one of perhaps the priests or one of the elders of the, of the day, looking for some sort of blessing. Later, after it had been composed and it had been shared, it became one of these songs, marching up to Zion. So I want us to understand this man, whoever he was, was apparently in a situation of stress. If I were to ask how many of you have stress in your life, if every one of you didn't raise your hand, we could have an altar to call about honesty. All, all of us have stress, and the thing about it is, your body doesn't know the difference between good stress and bad stress. What I mean is something happens, a change happens in your life, then you will have stress. The Holmes 
Selwich uh, stress test is a good example of that. Got about a hundred questions to answer. And does this apply to me? And then you go back and you score the answers. And if you have a score over 300, you are, have a physical likelihood of having stress. The first is death of a loved one. Somewhere around two or three, a new marriage. So theoretically, marriage is happy, or at least when it's brand new sometimes. But the thing is, your body doesn't know the difference between happy birthday and funeral dirge. Uh, I told you if you have 300 or up, you have a chance of stress-related illness. I have never scored under 400. I finally quit taking it. Okay, so this person is under stress. We don't know what happened. We don't know why. We don't know where he's hurting. But in that moment of anxiety, in that moment of inadequacy, he looks up at the mountains and he probably is not having a, what a beautiful moment it is. They were not for him a place of a breathtaking view. So let's listen in on this dialogue. And I'd ask you to stand. As I share with you Psalm 121. I will point out that the King James Version gives a little bit, the way it's read, it's not a bad translation, but it gives the wrong view. It says, I will look up to the mountains where my help comes from. That's not really the thrust of this text. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, verses 1 and 2 are a man speaking in first person. I'm looking at the hills right now, and I I need to know where my help's coming from. And then in verse 2, he declares, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Verses 3 through 8, it's no longer I, it's somebody speaking to him, the Lord will watch over you. So let's keep that in mind here. That this is a, a, a song that begins with a question. Where am I going to find help? And when you're asking the question, where am I going to find help? What you're really asking is who's going to help me? But even though it begins with that test, that question, it as a whole stands as a testimony of faith and hope. Decades ago, Andre Crouch and the disciples sang a song. That said, he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he watches over me both night and day. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, the reason I know, he told me so. Folks, Crouch was right, this psalm is right, he never sleeps. Our God and our mind. I believe that as 
children of God, there is hope available to us, even in the midst of the struggles of life. And everybody in this building has struggles in life. So how can I say this? How can I say that hope is possible even when everything that can go wrong will? How can we have hope? Well, we're going to look at some realities that are in this psalm today. And I pray that you'll listen carefully. And the first one, I think the psalm is written in such a way to help us know something. When that old gospel song, Nobody Knows the Troubles I've Seen, it's not quite true. The very first thing we see is a common question plagues humanity. There is a common question that hits every one of us. Whether you know God or you don't, Everyone will ask this question at some point in their lives. And the pilgrim psalmist asked a question that lay in the heart of people throughout history. Where will I find help? Where am I going to find? Who is going to have a care and a compassion about me? Now, we don't know, again, what caused this man to be filled with fear. Why all of a sudden he thinks, I need help? There are two possibilities. Part of it was, mountains could be a place of danger. Cyprian in the third century talked about brigands in the valley. Well, folks, there are, there are bandits and robbers in the mountains as well. When Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, he said the, the man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, that was a literal, literal description. There was several thousand foot decline in elevation. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known as a place where bandits were. And it's not just bandits who may be after you. If this man is in fact making his own personal pilgrimage to Jerusalem, he also has to deal with wild animals. Because there are animals in the mountains that could attack. So maybe he's filled with fear just at the idea, I've got to go up that mountain. Something bad may be helping, waiting for me. But there may be another aspect of this. I talked about the majesty of the mountains. One thing that is amazing, it happened to me when I was five years old. It happens to me to this very day. When I see a mountain and its majesty, I immediately begin to feel I am so small. I am so small. So maybe this man is marching to Jerusalem, wanting to have an encounter with God, but part of him may be saying, but God did this, and it's majestic, and it's wonderful, and he is majestic. Why would he care about me? How could he possibly care about me? In Psalm 8, Verses three through four, one of the most be- my, my favorite psalms in the whole book. In three for Thor, those psalmist writes, "When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? When I look at the majesty of nature, if you don't feel small." You may be narcissistic. 
<laughs> there may be a problem. And maybe he's thinking, I need help, but will God see me? There isn't as much emphasis in the Old Testament as in the New about the individual relationship with God. They tended to think of all of Israel. Nowhere in the Old Testament will you find anyone referred to God as my father. Jesus taught us to do that. Starts with the Lord. It was more he's the father of Israel. So maybe he's thinking, I don't know if God's going to pay attention. It's just me. Am I going to find help? Will God really care about me? And so the reality that we face, where can I find my help? I'm in trouble, and I need help. And it is often within the heart of one who struggles with trials, there's a sense. God is too remote to help me. God is, you know, he's too big, I'm too small, how will he know about me? Randy Croft shared a, the following in a sermon of his on keeping the faith. He said, I remember sitting in a circle with Holocaust survivors listening as a gentleman next to me described losing every member of his family to the Nazis, describing death every day in the concentration camps, telling how he used to pinch his cheeks to make it look like they had color. The Nazis would take those who looked weak and take them out aside and shoot them. He tried not to look at any of the guards in the eyes, otherwise they might think he was impetuous and pull him aside. Then Cross said, I asked him how difficult it must have been to believe in God as a Jew during those times, and he said to me that he had lost his faith. He just couldn't imagine a God who would stand by and let this evil continue day after day. There are a lot of people when facing the seemingly insurmountable problems of life, there are times we understand Job better than others. It just seems like there's one problem following another. Sometimes it's hard to see that God is loving and caring. And it can be so hopeless, even for people of strong faith, when the trials just keep happening. Because the truth is that struggle can bring a person to deep despair. Fyodor Dostoevsky said, to live without hope is to cease to live. And a lot of people have understood that. Without hope, what do you hold on to? The question of where my help comes from does not have to leave us in despair, though. It's true, when we are in struggle, we are particularly susceptible to despair, to hopelessness, to to the very pain that we're feeling. But it doesn't have to be like that, because this isn't just the only reality that all of us at some point or other cry out, who's going to help me? Where will it come from? Because the second Reality we see comes immediately after the first. Hope and faith can rise up in the troubled heart. 
Even before he gets to Jerusalem to go to the wise man who will help him along, he asks his question, where will I find my help? And he immediately, the psalmist, answered his own question with a declaration of faith. Where is my help going to come from? And he's saying, it's going to come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now this is, this is important. You need to grab hold of this. I've told you before, anytime in the Old Testament you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that's the covenant name. That's the name of Yahweh. The God of the covenant who entered into covenant with Abraham, who entered into covenant with Israel during the Exodus experience on Mount Sinai. This is the God who has committed himself to his people. But he is also the God who has made heaven and earth. He is also the God. When the scripture says God created the heavens and the earth, it is Elohim, the generic term for God. So he is both covenant God and he is Elohim who has made heaven and earth. And he's saying, I believe God is the God of the covenant. God is the God of creation. And he says, my hope is going to come from God. When Becky's saying about the mountaintop experiences, what makes the mountaintop experiences? Not the beauty, not the one. Now, now that can be part of your experience. But what makes the mountaintop experiences is you've met God. God has reached out to you and touched you. And that's what he's saying. The God who created this majestic world around me, the God who has made this and I feel so small. Do you remember what the the psalmist said in Psalm 8? What is man that you would think about us? He said, but you have created him a little lower than, and it's usually translated to angels or spiritual beings, but it is that word Elohim. In the New American Standard, maybe the only translation that I'm aware of that actually translates, you've made him a little lower than God. Why am I important? Because you created me. In your image, you've made me. His faith is built on the true and living God who had entered into a covenant with Israel. He is part of Israel. He has entered into the covenant himself. God created Israel, redeemed Israel, purchased them as his own. And so he says, I need help. And I believe that God will be the source of that help. Friends, we can find hope as we trust in the God who created and redeemed us. We can find hope even in the worst of situations when we remember what God has done. Now, I gave you a very depressing quote to begin with, didn't I? Cyprian, talking to Donatus, when you look down, you know what you're going to see. A world that is filled with pain, a world that is filled with hate, a world that is filled with awful things. Now, the thing, I cheated. I only gave you part of the quote. Let me finish it for you. Cyprian, who says, we know what the world is, is a world of danger. He went on to say, it is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet 
and holy people who have learned a great secret. They are despised and they're persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their soul. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are the Christians, and I am one of them. Yes, the world is bad, and there's no doubt about that. But those who name the name of Christ have a hope, because what he has done, God created us, yes, but he redeemed us, purchased us out of our sin, purchased us out of a life of death, and brought us into the light. When the struggles of life come, we need to remember. Our faith in God can lead us to the place of hope in a seemingly hopeless world. We need to remember because it gives us hope. Think about what God has already done. Well, we're alive. Periodically, I've had you check your pulses. I'm not going to make you do it today, but I, as I've always told you, I'm assuming it's working. You're here, right? You're alive. The psalmist wrote, David wrote in Psalm 139, 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So he, he created life. He gave us life. And we're here. And no matter how bad it may be, we're here and the possibility of God touching us is real and powerful. In that same act, he gave us a purpose. He gave us grace and purpose. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of your works, it is a gift to God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved us by grace, and then he gave us a reason why. God did not save you just to get you into heaven. I told you, if that's all it was, then the moment you got saved, God would have taken you. But he left you here. Why? Because he wants you to have a life that will have an impact on this world. God, who has moved Psalm 121-2, each one of us in this room can declare my help. If you know Christ, you can say my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And our faith in God can lead others to that place of hope. For when we declare our trust, our lights can shine in this world. When we demonstrate the light that God has given us, when we live as God has called us to live, it can have an impact on people. It can touch them. It can move them. It can challenge them. And it can help them have hope as well. You know, one of the reasons I think that God God shows us people in his word like Samson, who is not a role model. Let's, let's get that straight. He kind of messed up everything he ever should have done in his one act. He killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. But why does God show us Samson's? 
Why does God let us see Moses in the middle of the desert after everything that's happened? He complains to God and says, Why am I having to take care of these people? Did you make me their father? He's about ready to wipe his hands. Why does he show us Paul persecuting Christians? Why does he show us Peter always promising so much and then always failing spectacularly? Because God wants us to know something. If God can use them in their frailty and their faults, there's hope for me. I love the story of Balaam because if God can talk through a donkey, maybe he can talk through me. So we need to understand this. God is moving and our faith can help other people see hope. But only if we show it. Our final reality, assurance of God's help needs to be shared. Assurance of God's help needs to be shared. And this is where the psalm changes. It's no longer, where am I going to find help? I'll find help in God. Now it's someone speaking you, to you. Another voice rises up to give assurance to the pilgrim. It's no longer the pilgrim speaking himself. Someone is speaking with the express purpose of encouraging him. Someone helping him understand. And there's such powerful words of encouragement. He says the God who's watching over you, he's not like the gods of the rest of the world. The significance of that phrase, he never sleeps, he doesn't, never slumbers. Folks, it can be found in one of my favorite passages First Kings chapter 18 in the story of Elijah facing down the prophets of Baal. They have tried all day long. He let them go first. They are crying out to Baal. They're circling their, their sacrifice. The fire is not coming down from heaven. And so they start getting even wilder and wilder. And all of a sudden, Elijah, one of my favorite prophets, just because of this verse, 1 Kings 18.27, at noon Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, surely he is a god, perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Because the gods in the ancient world were just like human beings, only more powerful. Maybe he fell asleep. Maybe you need to yell louder. And so they begin cutting themselves and yelling. And their gods don't answer. The Lord never takes a nap. He's always on task. And the description that is given echoes what the people said in Joshua 24, 17. At the end of Joshua's leadership, he's about... They're about to go on. He's about to go be with the Lord. The people declared it was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. Verses 5 through 8, 
the elder says, broad strokes. He says what God is going to do for them. And he says, he's going to be with them. Now, Psalm 121 does not deny that pain comes into our lives, but it does guarantee us that God is with us. There's a a parallel here by day and by night. Two contrasts are brought together. And what that means is, all the time, whether it's day or nighttime, God is watching over you. God is with you. Now, in Israel, direct sunlight could be lethal. You could have heat stroke, you could have dehydration, and so that idea of shade covering you was very important. They needed to have shade to be careful. At night, when the moon shines, danger stalk under the cover of darkness, both in the form of wild animals and those robbers. In fact, there's a phrase, moonstruck, that is used in the original language in a couple of different passages. And we still have a connection. Those of you who have ever talked probably don't want to be in class the night of a full moon, that kind of thing, and and uh, that fear of all the bad things that happen. In fact, the, the term lunacy comes from lunar. So, God's help is perpetual, day or night. And I'm really loving this. Whether you're coming or going, the Lord will watch over you forever. Love it, Daniel Estes says, because this warranty will not lapse, the psalmist can face the future and its expected challenges. God's never going to quit. He's watching and reaching. Now, when I look at this passage and I look at the dynamic, if it's correct, now I, I know for sure, singular and then it's second person. There's an eye speaking and another eye saying, this is for you. If that is correct, there's one other thing we need to understand here. Walking in faith calls for an active declaration of God's provision to those around us. The man has come seeking wisdom and somebody is speaking and encouraging him. And in that one act, we find out part of what we're supposed to be doing here. Why are we here? It was more than getting into heaven. Part of that was so we could build strength within the body of Christ and we could be witnesses. This is what Paul was talking about in Galatians when in Galatians 6.2 he said, bear each other's burdens, encourage each other. So just like the elder who is encouraging the pilgrim, we can speak hope into other people's lives. There are people in our church who are struggling, who are in pain, who are hurting. There are people in our communities that are hurting, that need somebody who can speak into their hearts hope and love and grace and peace, waiting so we can speak hope into those who are hurting. No one should ever have to walk this journey of life alone, particularly in the body of Christ. Larry Crabb 
a wonderful Christian writer, has written a book on encouragement, The Key to Caring, said, because the words have the power to affect people deeply, it is appropriate to consider how to encourage fellow Christians through what we say. Words can encourage or discourage or do nothing. So what are we doing with our words? What are we doing with the burdens of others? Are we helping them? Are we speaking to them, reminding them of things they may have forgotten? This man, whatever was happening, needed these words. And God knew us so much, he knew that we needed these words. And so this psalm did not remain just a discussion between two men, but it stood the test of centuries. And we can see our role, not only of seeking our own help, but helping other people find. God's loving grace is a compelling call toward those who are hurting about us. See, when we encourage one another, we can offer strength and hope. Mark Schaffel wrote something that meant a whole lot to me because I had such a person in my life at just such a time. But he said, in my office hangs a tie and a pair of suspenders enclosed in a glass wood case. Those mementos belong to my academic advisor, mentor, and friend from the day, my days in seminary, late Dr. Gary McGee. About halfway through my program, I stood in his office, tired, burned out, and in tears. I know that situation. He said, I told Dr. McGee I can't do this anymore. He smiled and gently reaffirmed me, Mark, you can and you will. If it had not been for his encouragement and reassurance, I never would have graduated. I had a doctoral reader, a woman who was responsible for reading and making all those you know, grammatical corrections that we needed. I was this close to quitting. And when I went to pick up the document that she had done, written, she looked at me and said, Danny, this is one of the best chapters I've read in years. And that one statement kept me going. Everybody in here, someone at some time in your life has spoken a word of encouragement to you. Somebody said, well done. Somebody said, don't give up. Somebody said, I believe in you. Somebody reminded you that God loves you. Whatever the encouragement was, somebody has spoken into your life. How do I know that? You're still here. If we did not have people who encouraged and held us up when we were weak, Most of us would have checked out a long time ago. So let's continue. The gift of encouragement to those who hurt around us. Let's continue doing that. The elder told the seeker, he never sleeps. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said everything that is done in the world is done by hope. That's kind of a broad statement, but listen to what he said. Everything done is done by hope. No husbandman, you know, no farmer, 
would sow a grain of corn if he hoped not. It would grow up and become seed. If he hoped not, it wouldn't grow. No tradesman would set himself to work if he did not hope to reap benefit thereby. A.W. Tozer. By now, if you don't know Tozer's one of my heroes, you haven't been listening. We have been born of God and our Christian hope is a valid hope. No emptiness, no vanity, no dreams that cannot come true. Your expectation should rise and you should challenge God to and begin to dream high dreams of faith and spiritual attainment and expect God to meet them. You cannot out-hope God and you cannot out-expect God. Remember that all of our your hopes are finite, but all of God's ability is infinite. All of God's ability is infinite. So we are able to face a world of pain and confusion. Why? Because we have hope. And we have hope because it comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We have hope because he never sleeps. Please bow your heads before God. I don't know all of the battles you face. Some of you, I know more about your situation, others not. But I know that every person in this room, every person on this earth, at some point in time, is either asking right now or will ask, where's my help coming from? We struggle, we hurt. Today, if you're in that place of hurt, if you're in that place, you need that hope restored, I would like to pray for you.